0: Welcome to the Lead and Follow podcast. I'm your host, Sharna Fabiano, author of the book Lead and Follow, and I'm pleased to bring you the latest research, insights, and learning methods in the emerging field of followership to help you connect and collaborate better with the people around you. If you enjoy the show, please consider subscribing to the Lead and Follow fan club for as little as $3 a month. There's a link at the bottom of the show notes, and it really does make a difference. Thanks so much for listening, and here's the episode. Today I'm speaking with a very special guest. Glover Gill is a composer and multi-instrumentalist with an incredibly diverse body of artistic work. His collaborators include choreographers, filmmakers, and producers, as well as dozens of other musicians and musical groups in a very wide variety of genres. In fact, the intro and outro music from this podcast comes from a score that Glover wrote for one of my dance projects back in 2008. I'm very excited to have him here to share some of the ways he's experienced collaboration and leading and following over the course of his incredible music career. Glover, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Before we get into the subject of collaboration, I wanted to ask you to share with listeners a little bit more about you and your work, just so they have a sense of uh, where you're coming from.
1: Um, let's see. I began taking piano lessons at the age of nine. And ever since then I've played every genre of music you can imagine from classical to pop, jazz, punk rock, and finally tango, which I considered to be classical. Um, Raj bands as a kid, uh, went to college at traditional age to study piano, dropped out, joined a punk rock band, traveled the country, had a minor amount of success, uh, went back to college at a non-traditional age, studied classical again, um, got out, played pop music, swing music, had a little bit of success with that, accidentally discovered tango music. That's when I met you and so tango was the last 25 years or so of my music career, and then um, I just retired recently.
0: Congratulations, and I hope you're enjoying that very well-deserved retirement. I'd like to start with us, actually. I mean, when I discovered your music, I was equally as intrigued by the not only what you've done with with tango in a contemporary sense, but just the breadth of your experience going through all of those genres, and I think that I'm I'm guessing that you know influenced how you approach Tango as well. But let's let's talk a little bit about what we did together. I, I I experienced our collaboration as very inspiring and some of the best moments of my own artistic career. And also they were like very easy, they felt very natural. The first one was a dance production we called Uno, and that was the the score from which the intro and outro music for the podcast comes from. And just to give listeners a little background, I had kind of started out this idea with a concept of four female tango dancers abandoned at the end of the night in this sort of fantastical twilight zone, um, each struggling with loneliness. So that was sort of the preliminary story I came to with. I'm wondering if you could just describe, you know, how we work together from your perspective on that project.
1: First of all, it was a wonderful accident to meet you in a tango setting in my neck of the woods. Your listeners may not know that there are several uh, communities of tango across the country and the world and occasionally a well-known tango dance instructor such as yourself will travel and be invited to these other communities. And that's how I met you, a wonderful accident. And I think we immediately hit it off just due to our common (laughs) <laughs> love of tango so <laughs> I, I I think we immediately you know had a struck a chord with each other and and um, were intrigued by one another's different areas of expertise in the tango community well that struck a great friendship immediately and then when you asked me to collaborate with your UNO tango dance project I was delighted to be, in, to be invited and I think we already had an amount of trust with one another in regards to our areas of expertise. And when you described your narrative of the four female dancers, uh, it made it a lot easier for me to begin to compose your piece rather than writing something out of thin air. You know what it is to have a blank piece of paper in front of you and you wanna fill it up. That is every writer's students and leader's nightmare. Oh, (laughs) I've got got a blank sheet of paper here and I've got a deadline and my leader is waiting for me to fill it up or maybe my followers are waiting for me to fill it up. But since you gave me the narratives uh, and the little seeds for each movement, I had something to grab a hold of and that made it easier and more rapid. More easily, It made it easier for me to more rapidly get some, some ink on paper. And then once we got started, we were communicating by way of email. And I think I was sending you uh, snippets of music a little bit at a time, and then you were choreographing, and then we would go back and forth. And occasionally, maybe more often than not, I know you know how this goes. Sometimes when you're writing, you control the writing. Occasionally, the writing controls you. (laughs) In My case, and on this project, on a couple of movements of our piece, the writing took control of me, and, and I just had to follow the direction that it was going. And then I would call you and apologize and say, well, this has not gone the way I wanted it to, or perhaps the way you wanted it to, but here it is. And you said, well, That seems like it's working with my idea of the choreography on this particular movement. Did I remember that properly?
0: Absolutely. And you you shared just a whole bunch of things in there that, not that I'd forgotten, but I'd forgotten like how significant they were. So I I almost want to kind of back up a little bit and trace that for listeners. First of all, you reminded me of how delightful it was to meet for the first time in Austin. And you know, the, the importance of that for trust building over time that allows two collaborators to, you know, do kind of bigger and deeper work together. And one thing I remember about, well, first of all, even before we met, I knew about your music, right. And was because of maybe my own aesthetic interest, you know, in kind of balancing the traditional with the contemporary, you know, I, I I was a huge fan of your music, right, way before I met you. And then when we met in Austin, I what I remember is that we had the opportunity to dance to to your playing. Am I remembering that correctly or am I fantasizing about that?
1: I think you are remembering that correctly. And I believe I was playing traditional tango at the time, not contemporary. And I think we were at a milonga. For your listeners, that's a dance event. And you and your partner had come, had been invited uh, to teach, but this was the night before it was a social dance. And I believe that's when we met.
0: Thank you. I do remember that night before. And here's what is striking me as important is that I didn't like call you out of the blue. And I I could have, you know, I could have said, Hey, you know, lover, you don't know me, but I have this big project, you know, but it grew over time. And I think that's something useful for Listeners in any you know situation to remember whether you're in um, whether you're doing creative work or whether you're you know in a, a another kind of profession um, working with a team or a collaborator of any kind that the value of developing relationship over time can't really be I think overstated and in a sense like choosing one another like in the way that you know dancers dance partners choose each other on the dance floor. There was that initial connection and kind of mutual regard and appreciation, and uh, that allowed us to do not only the Uno project together, but you know a couple other things. But let me not get 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 ahead of ahead of ourselves. I want you you mentioned trust, and I want you maybe just to talk a little bit about you know what that meant or what that uh, initial sense of connection felt like. You know when we met, like what made you think this is someone you might want to collaborate with later.
1: Well, um, in the tango dance community, when an instructor is invited to come across the country to teach a workshop, I guess it's more common than than I thought at the time. Um, you, then you know that the, the host uh, teacher that has invited the traveling teacher has some trust for that traveling teacher. So I automatically knew that you were a okay because i <laughs> i was very friendly with with the host dance instructor and
0: mm-hmm.
1: we had a, a we had a, have had a long collaboration so i know that she wouldn't invite some hack so i knew that you were an expert and then <laughs> the night before when i did meet you and your partner i believe we we you know had some words and before uh, and then i saw you dance well I, I hadn't seen anything like that I was I was just um, very impressed with your mastery on the dance floor and so that instantly made me believe in you um, even though that it had not not much to do with my upcoming role in in our project but you know that was enough right there to know hey this is a this is a really um, this is an expert. This is someone who is an expert in your field. And I, I got that vibe instantly, even before I saw you dance.
0: Well, thank you, Glover. That's such a huge compliment coming from you. And I appreciate you sharing it. I wanted to kind of pick up the story where uh, a couple of years later, you were mentioning that moment where the project or, you know, the the music kind of leads you or, you know, kind of takes over. And I remember that too. And don't know if you have the same experience but once you're kind of in you know in the creative process and you've kind of started it off right so we could say I created this narrative and that sort of was the initial vision or like leader action right and then in a certain sense we're both kind of following that and so you start to create kind of based on that initial spark and I think that's one of the the greatest contributions a leader can do or a leader action can take is it sort of start something going right and then you have something to pour your creativity into like in the you know follower role so to speak but then like once you create something you have to react to it right and that's the sort of what I experience as like then you almost follow what you've already made and I get excited by that right I recognize that not as like a negative lack of control, but almost like a positive, like, oh, something is taking on a life of its own. There's something here for me to follow, even if I have, you know, started as a leader by like writing down the first draft. I register that as like a really positive thing and something I, you know, hope for. Could you speak to that at all?
1: Yes. Um, You know, I think as we began to, To unravel this project together, the first thing that we both did was talk about the four characters and their demeanor. And the first thing that I wrote down on paper was the four short themes that were not tango. They were corrals. and, And I was trying to get a flavor for each of these four short introductory pieces with each of the dancer's names attached to them. I believe I sent you those and uh, you may or may not have been extremely surprised or perhaps even disappointed in what they were. (laughs) But then I began to weave those four themes into the tango pieces As we went along uh, with the project and what you just said a moment ago about reacting as a leader and then becoming a a, perhaps a bystander. I know that as a leader, frequently we delegate. So then we become perhaps a bystander. I'm not sure. Perhaps when you're leading a larger group, occasionally you have to delegate roles to, to other followers who then become leaders and so when you gave me the narratives you had to react by stepping back and you delegated that role to me and then I took control in the form of writing dots on paper and then getting some uh, pretty poor recordings to send to you then <laughs> so, so we were we were so sort of passing Whoever, the- you're
0: like the king of understatement yeah <laughs> <laughs> Or well, maybe understatement is not the right word. as ironic uh, sarcasm. Is that it?
1: Uh, perhaps. I wasn't trying to be sarcastic. But I, <laughs> I, I, but I think you and I were sort of passing the ball back and forth and reacting to each other's reactions, which turned out to be, I thought we had pretty good success
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is why, you know, I think back on that collaboration as one of the high points of my dance career because not only was it, I wouldn't, you know, I say it's effortless, but, you know, there's a difference between like work that's energizing and work that's draining, right? And this was like the work that's energizing, right? So definitely there was effort involved, but it didn't feel like effort because I think because, you know, we had both in in a sense, and, you know, again, tell me if, I'm misrepresenting you, you here, kind of like surrendered to the process, right? Once those four chorales were written, you know, these four kind of signatures uh, of the characters, that also gave me something to work with. And, you know, I thought, oh, great, now I have, you know, it, I can kind of flip roles again and I can now choreograph to these for signatures. Right. And then, you know, you could take those and weave them into longer tangos. And then those became, you know, the duets between those characters. And so it's almost, I almost feel like the best thing I can do, you know, in a collaboration is try to do just enough leading to get myself into the follower role as much as possible. You know, whether I'm following my collaborator in this case, you, or whether I'm following, you know, the logic of the art itself, as it unfolds that, that's almost when it happens the best. And I don't know if you would use those terms, but curious, you know, how you respond to that.
1: Well, um I I probably would use those terms if I was as eloquent a speaker as you. But <laughs> I think what you just described to me from your viewpoint, that changed from the abstract to the concrete. So you had given me some narratives. So then we both we both still had empty pages, blank paper. Mm -hmm. Then I finally got some dots written on the paper and some recordings that became concrete, got that concrete to you. You got to take over again and finally have something from me that was more concrete. And at that point, both our interwoven ideas became one. And that's a really neat thing. Then you had that concrete, something you could wrap your hands around. And then that's when you began choreographing in earnest. And then once those four themes were written, that's when I became writing in earnest. That's when the project, I believe, got out of our hands and took control of us as, as the creators.
0: Yeah, I had a very similar experience. And I think it's just here worth emphasizing because you know part of this my interest here in the podcast is to highlight how much the following matters. And we don't always call it that, you know, we sometimes just call it, well, we're just, you know, going with the flow or whatever, but that willingness, you know, in, in this case to let the project guide us is like critical, you know, like if we didn't do that, if I just said, well, you know, I want it to be like this Glover, like do this, you know, that that would have just been, it would have fallen apart, you know, immediately. Where you know, likewise, on on the other side, if you'd been like, well, I don't care what this narrative is, I'm going to write this score, you know, on my that own, be you know, that, it, that it would be Yeah, it doesn't work, right? So I think yeah. the there's such an um value here in emphasizing the willingness to follow and the enjoyment of being in that role. That is what so often makes these things easy and generative, you know, and allows them to happen in you know in ways you can't predict that are far you know beyond what you might have even imagined at the beginning anyway that's how i would describe it and i just want to emphasize that
1: well certainly i would not have tried to force my writing onto your theme without your approval so that would that would be a bad collaboration that would that would be too my old piano teacher would have said willful <laughs> And certainly you wouldn't say, well, Glover, I don't like that. That doesn't work at all. Well, you, you you could have, and I would have acquiesced and changed something, but that I don't think that was necessary. And I think it, in the end, the collaboration worked quite well. As far as following in this project, what about your dancers that you were leading, or my musicians that I was leading? Once we had most of the choreography written and most of the music written that's when we took over our two fields you as choreographer me as band leader
0: Absolutely absolutely that's a whole other layer right of leadership and followership Why don't you talk about that a little bit you have this maybe is a good segue you have a very long relationship with several musical groups I don't know if you want to start with Tosca um for the 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 string quartet but to speak about how you work with musicians in general
1: um well the tosca string quartet and tosca tango orchestra of course we worked together for i don't know 25 years and before that most of us were music students together at university of texas so i've known them forever they know me they know my style so i imagine at about the time that that I had was finishing up the, the writing, you were finishing up the choreo, the choreography. And then you were in rehearsals with your dancers, giving them instructions while I was in rehearsals with my musicians and gave them the, the scores. I believe we got together one day at a studio and made a fair, but not good recording of the, of the entire suite so that I could send you a more, definitive version. So there we were in rehearsal, uh, with the recording machine going, and they are so accustomed to my style and my writing that they don't have to ask many questions. And I imagine, uh, that your, uh, dancers in this case were, are, were fairly accustomed to your style of leading choreographing and rehearsing. So these things in that, in those two scenarios, can go very smoothly.
0: Yeah, again, I'm just reminded of that, the value of knowing one another over time. And, you know, in this case, you, as you say, you've known them forever. You have very long and deep relationship with these particular musicians. I had less of a long relationship with my performers in that particular project. But I think still this willingness to, to follow that's, you know, critical, whether it's because you have the trust build over a long time or because you just, you know, in the case of dancers, often part of the training of, be, you know, performing and being a dancer is to trust the choreographer and to be willing to try anything. And these particular dancers I chose, I chose them because those those skills in them were very strong. And I knew that they would, you know, they would try things even if I didn't know what I was doing. Right? And that was such a high value to me, even beyond, you know, maybe their technical skills, even though they were, you know, very technically skilled. So I don't know if you, do you want to speak to that at all? Or you said they, they know you so well, like what, what did that eliminate for you? Like, were there things you didn't have to worry about or didn't have to do because of that familiarity?
1: Not only did they know me very, I know them very well. We know each other very well. So I know just like, you know, how technically able your your dancers are. I know their. I know my musicians' technical abilities as well. So I know what mm-hmm. not to do. For example, in rehearsal, when I hand out the the music and they start reading and and they they see stylistic gadgets that I use all the time, and they they've seen them so often that that <laughs> they almost don't have to question anymore. They oh, I know what he's doing there. We've mm-hmm. done that before. So. Uh, so that that makes things go more smoothly, and, and as you said, just over the, the period of of this relationship between my musicians and myself is so long and storied that it just makes things a little easier during rehearsals. And there's another element of trust there. They've they've seen my composition skills grow over the decades, and they just know. They know what I'm about. And then if there's a a musical passage that is, let's say, sketchy or questionable, that's when they ask questions. And that's when they offer their actually saying, well, maybe this would go a little more smoothly if we did X instead of Y. And there's a good example of them guiding Mm -hmm. me and me backing up, letting them and delegating them to do that. So I go, well, you're darn right. That's so much better than what I had. And we'll make a a slight, slight alteration, and and and
0: right there we've got a a solution to
1: what could have been a minor problem.
0: I think that's a really great illustration of you know the best possible leader follower interaction. And one, I want to highlight, you know, your mention of the kind of stylistic gadgets, and that when you work with people over time, you almost create your own language together, or you know, you understand what one another means, you know, by certain terms. And I think that can also be taken into, you know, any sort of work environment. As you get to know the people you work with, you know, their technical skills, you know, you know, what kinds of things you can ask for, you know, from a leader perspective. And, you know, then from the follower perspective, it's important that you can ask questions when there's something that's, that isn't clear, right? That's unclear, right? And for the purposes of clarifying it, right? Not for the purposes of like, some sort of, you know, competition, but because you're both committed to the work and those, you know, that ability to ask the question comes from the trust and the knowing one another. But I think it also comes from just a desire, you know, desire for excellence, like desire for clarity. And so, yeah, I would list that also among like really strong uh, partnership follower skills.
1: Well said. And on that point, sometimes the leaders can create types of shorthand that followers that have been with that leader for some time begin to know what that shorthand's about about. I'm not talking necessarily about music manuscript, but any kind of, you know, message writing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just thinking like in a, a dance context or in an office context, you can't ask someone to do something they're not able to do. You know, you can maybe ask them to do things they're less comfortable with or less familiar with, but not unable. Right. And that's, you know, that's an important part of getting to know each person you're working with and then adapting whatever the work is to, to that.
1: Certainly I wouldn't ask any musician to play a passage that is too difficult Mm -hmm. for their skills. And you wouldn't ask, you wouldn't ask a dancer to, uh, you know, do five somersaults when they don't even know how to do one.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's not, it's just not, not safe or advisable. After we created UNO together, you had the excellent idea to develop a musicality workshop for social dancers. And I thought that was also really successful. And one of, you know, the coolest things I I got to do. In fact, I always wished we could have done more of them. But what do you think made that collaboration so effective? This was something you, you know, you led in the sense by saying, hey, let's do this.
1: That was truly A gratifying project for me, and I hope for you as well. Absolutely. One reason that it was so gratifying is that we had students that were extremely motivated. They understood what we were getting at. But another thing gratifying about it was, well, first of all, you and I got together in person to discuss what are these subjects that we're going to teach? And they were small. They were small ornaments that we were going to discuss, not large swaths of analysis. And then we had to uncover some recordings that would get our points across. So that was our homework. And then once we got in the studio with the students, who once again, I said, were very motivated and they all know what they're doing, I would take charge and try to explain rhythmic gadgets in, in traditional tango and teach them to hear them from a musician standpoint, not a dancer standpoint. Pretty easy, but it took you and me a little while to simplify that before we got in the, onto the dance floor. So once, once we got that going, getting the dancers listening from a musician standpoint, I'd backed off and then you had the momentous job of showing them how to put that to motion on the dance board. This is a magical thing for me because I'm not a dancer. I can't dance my way out of a, <laughs> a barn, but, but I am fascinated. I'm, gosh, why did I play tango for 25 years? I am fascinated by the dance and, but putting that somewhat abstract rhythmic gadget to motion on the dance board, Now that was a thing of beauty. And the dancers were, I think they were as gratified as we were because they instantly got it. You know, I, I haven't done much teaching. Uh, I don't know how my demeanor was in the studio, but once I let go and you took over, uh, there was just a a completeness of this whole, you know, we were a three-headed monster, you, me, and the dancers. All of a sudden, it just came together in 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 my memory and and it was just a gratifying project and but you can't as a teacher or a leader you can't do that without motivated followers
0: i totally agree yeah i also love that it was super fun and it did have this feeling of completeness my experience of it was it's almost almost like the inverse of the the uno dance project where we were kind of letting the music lead right because that's you know what you do on the dance floor is you dance to the music and so I love that we started by, you know, choosing, you know, what were these pieces we could use, you know, these traditional pieces of music. And we did did that together, but I felt like, you know, you were making the lion's share of the suggestions there because of your knowledge of the repertoire. And, you know, once we had isolated those, what I remember doing is creating like what's like the minimal amount of choreographic exercise here because we're you know we're teaching this for dancers who are going to improvise ultimately so we don't want to over choreograph it but being able to put them in in a movement uh exercise that will allow their bodies to then move in the way that the rhythm is is showing right i would say the music is almost like its own story right it's like showing this kind of aesthetic line Then that was where it felt magical to me. And so I felt like I was very much kind of trying to follow the, you know, the musical logic there. And then, you know, you and I together, we would kind of go back and forth in the classroom with the students. So then, you know, we together were kind of guiding them um, to come into this experience. So that's how I experienced it. And it was, as you said, this kind of feeling of completion.
1: Well, first of all, I think we both were trying to find very simple examples just like you were saying earlier, you don't ask when you're choreographing, you don't ask your dancers to do something that they're physically unable to mm-hmm. do. And when we were when we were laying out the groundwork for these classes, we of course didn't want to make it too big. Correct. Uh, we didn't want to ask the students to, to do something that they would not understand or that, that they couldn't mm-hmm. dance to.
0: Yes. And I just want to keep highlighting these leadership principles because I think they're very relatable. I think what made those workshops so successful was that we arrived at a really good structure, which was these very simple rhythmic elements put together with relatively simple movement patterns that were already known to the dancers. I think in large part that was our success, and I would take that as a lesson elsewhere into an office or into any other situation where we want to get something done. I think part of good leadership is identifying the right structure for the outcome that we want and for the people that we're working with. I'd like to shift gears and talk about some of your other collaborations. You worked with Richard Linklater on his film, Waking Life. Could you talk a little bit about what that process was like?
1: Well, working with Rick Linklater was a blast. He's a really sweet leader. He does not believe in trial by fire. (laughs) He's laid back, but he gets results. And we didn't uh, do a whole lot of collaborating. He, he had heard my music live uh, in Austin for a while and approached me about uh, using it for the film. And when I first saw the roughly edited version of the film, there was, of course, no music. So I didn't know what to do. But then uh, I met him at his studio and he had taken a couple of my pre-existing pieces Modern contemporary tango recordings, and he had inserted them in a couple of scenes. And lo and behold, it worked great because he had a vision. Mm. And I don't know if he had this vision before. He had shot the film or after, but at any rate, it worked perfectly. So there was not a whole lot of leading and following between Rick and myself. A lot of the results came just due to me and his editor being in the editing studio, inserting more of my pre-existing recordings into the film, and and behold, it worked again. So I think this was Rick's vision. I don't know how filmmakers do it. There were very few... Freshly recorded or written bits for the film that I did, uh, that, at Rick's suggestion. But once again, he's just the sweetest guy you'll ever meet on a May morning.
0: <laughs> well, that's wonderful to hear, and uh, yeah, interesting because you're saying, well, there wasn't so much leading and following because he he was using um, much of your pre-recorded work, and then um, it sounds like once those were in place and those decisions were made, there were a couple of other shorter pieces that you were asked to write how did that come about
1: there were just a few holes to fill in near the end of the project and mm-hmm. uh, that's when we actually had a little more contact and and uh, i would um, submit something and he'd go yes or no and and but it wasn't like well hell no that won't, won't work and <laughs> something you know in a little different direction and and then i'd come up with something else and then he'd go oh that's it and and he'd be so delighted
0: It sounds like the visionary in this case, Richard Linklater, was so clear about trusting his own vision, right? So this is a leader who, whether he decided ahead of time or in the moment, he was very clear about what he wanted. And so the messages were were very clear to you so that you could adjust or modify. And that's another really important thing. I know I think it's sometimes hard for a leader to be clear, Um, but whatever is required for that to happen is you know is is really worth getting to right because like without that the you know the process i imagine could have been like more difficult you know or lengthy
1: yeah i think there may be very few things more uh more frustrating than a leader without clarity mm-hmm. so as a follower if i've got a question and the leader doesn't have the answer that's a little frustrating for me well, well what do you want me to do? Oh, well, I don't know. Well, (laughs) could you be a little more clear? So that that can be be very frustrating for a follower. But yes, as you said, he had that clarity and ability to communicate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Which reminds me of when, when you're in the leader role, that's just, I want to, you know, make sure we get some attention on your musical collaboration here. And when you recorded your most recent album, A Ponzi Scheme, you were very much, you know, in the position of the visionary, like, Um, Richard Linklater was with Waking Life, where you had the whole idea as, and anyway, to correct me if I'm wrong here, and invited musicians you had known for a long time. And so it was the New York Clarity, right, that was kind of driving this.
1: Right. That was a pretty gratifying project too. Many of the musicians were from the Tosca Orchestra, some other musicians that I've worked with a lot, and then a few musicians uh, with whom I had never worked. Fortunately for the musicians that I had never worked with, I had that clarity of communication, leadership. I showed them in no uncertain terms uh, what I needed. (laughs) In most most cases, of course, every note was was written down Mm -hmm. for them. So working in a situation like that, it's a little nerve wracking for me because the clock is running. I'm paying hundreds of dollars a day for the studio, hundreds of dollars a day for the engineer, hundreds of dollars a day for the uh, producer, who's a genius, by the way, Charlie Sexton. (laughs) And then the musicians are all arrived. I'm handing out the music and they're reading through it and rehearsing. and, And I'm making suggestions. Charlie, the producer is making suggestions and things can come together fairly rapidly. And then of course, my, my, Crew in the Tosca Orchestra asked the greatest questions. And fortunately, I uh, usually have the answers. And if they ask Charlie questions, he's got the answers. He's a very clear communicator, too. So fortunate that he was in on that project. So then we get, we turn the red light on and we're recording. And we get a recording of, of a piece done. And, and then everybody comes out and we'll discuss it. And Charlie will make suggestions technical i'll make musical suggestions and we'll do it again and hopefully by the end of the day we've got a song recorded
0: yeah i think that's a it's a great point about your producer there charlie who it's almost like you're both leading but in different areas and i think that happens a lot in teams where you know one person's responsible for one area of expertise and the other one's responsible for the other and you you know have to respect each other's areas right. and in a sense like not not so much directly follow, but like allow both of those areas of leadership to operate.
1: Yes, and it was a great relationship. Um, you know, I've known Charlie. I actually I played with a band uh, in a band, with his band, when he was fifteen and I was thirty. <laughs> this is you know half a century ago. Uh, and he, <laughs> he, was a, he was then and is now a workaholic, but mm-hmm. as you described, having the the two areas of expertise, handing out, you know, delegating uh, duties worked out splendidly uh, in, you know, I would be conducting the orchestra, but he was conducting the engineer, the assistant mm-hmm. engineer, and the musicians. And he, my suggestions were musically technical. His were, he was looking at a bigger picture the whole time took me a while to understand this, uh, through mm-hmm. the, through the decades of working with producers. Um, so while I'm looking at, at, at little tiny details, he's looking at the big picture and that that's what his suggestions were
0: aimed toward. I love that. I think that's such an important thing. In addition to, you know, areas like, you know, sound engineering versus, you know, the music itself, you also have these different scopes right so you're focused on individual song or sound versus like the whole album you know and both of those views are equally as important and uh, you know often we don't recognize how they both need to be you know equally as strong
1: it's a symbiosis totally yeah anyway it worked out very very well I'm, I'm really extremely proud of that recording and uh boy I couldn't have done it without Charlie.
0: Glover, I feel like we could, you know, record for hours and hours, but I, I want to kind of wrap up and ask you, is there anything else kind of top of mind right now that you'd like to leave listeners with on this topic of collaboration? You know, anything you feel like it, from your career just really stands out?
1: Hmm. Be on time. <laughs> I believe if you're not five minutes early, you are late. And if you're late, it's... it's um it's an insult to your colleagues. So that that's just, that's that was my only rule ever, be on time.
0: I love that. Simple, but, you know, it says so much about your respect for the relationship, you know, your um, respect for the work.
1: You gain respect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No matter what you're, you know, no matter which rung of the ladder you're upon, you will gain respect if you're on time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so much about collaboration comes down to that.
1: Time may be the the biggest commodity that some of us have, the only commodity. And if it's wasted by our colleagues, well, that just doesn't feel right.
0: Agree. Well, Glover, I want to ask, where can listeners find this incredible music, right, that we've been talking about?
1: Well, I, I shut down my website when I retired, but there are two brick-and-mortar stores that do uh, ship, uh, Sig's Lagoon in Houston, Sig's Lagoon, uh, and there's um, Waterloo Records in Austin. They, they have my CDs, and they will ship. The Ponzi Scheme album, the latest one, which is the only one that's not tango, actually is available also on vinyl if any of your listens, listeners are vinyl freaks. So uh, once again, Sig's Lagoon and uh, Waterloo Records.
0: Thank you. Well, I'm going to put those in the show notes along with all the other references we've talked about. Please, please check out Glover's music. You will not be sorry. I've been a diehard fan for 20 years now. It's some of the most beautiful, especially the tango music. There's just nothing like it uh, in the world. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Glover. And uh, I look forward to our next conversation.
1: Likewise. And uh, thank you for asking me. It was delightful to speak with you.
0: You have been listening to the Lead and Follow podcast. Special thanks to composer Glover Gill for providing our music. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show by subscribing to the Lead and Follow fan club for as little as $3 a month. There's a link at the bottom of the show notes, and it really does make a difference. You can also now send us fan mail through text. You'll see the link right underneath the episode title in your phone app. And if you'd like to learn more about the dance of leadership and followership, order a copy of my book, Lead and Follow. It's available everywhere.